بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد In another passage of the Quran, in Surah Al-Baqarah, Surah 2 verse 45, Allah the Almighty and Glorious, He says, وَاسْتَعِينُوا بِالصَّبْرِ وَالصَّلَةِ Seek help with patience and salah. Then He mentions, وَإِنَّهَا لَقَبِيلَةٌ إِلَّا عَلَى الْخَاشِعِينَ It is indeed difficult, hard, except for the khashi'een. <laughs> So here Allah the Almighty and Glorious explicitly says that you seek help with patience and prayer. One report mentions that patience refers to fasting here. But then it mentions specifically with regards to salah. It is hard, it is difficult except for those who have khushu. So this indicates that without khushu, Salat will always be a burden. So it's a critical quality which is needed in Salat. And note here in Surah 23 verse 2 Allah Ta'ala says that those who are humble or they have khushu in their Salat meaning these will be successful. So without diverging too much the Prophet mentions that if you remember death This will help to better your salah. This is in Deilami and it's an authentic report. And also in another report, the Prophet said, increase in your dhikr in salah. Increase in the various uh, supplications and the formulas in your salah. So these will certainly help I, to better your salah. I, and you of course beg Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for this. And the other thing I should have mentioned last week, was in verse 5 and 6 Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he mentions those who guard their private parts except with those whom they have joined in marriage or to their right hand possesses and then I mentioned with regards to other categories so with regards to self-stimulation there's a report In Abdul Razak in his Al-Musannaf, number 13,151, with a Sagih channel transmission, Abdullah ibn Umar was asked about the masturbator. He said, that person is the one who fornicates with himself. That person is the one who fornicates with himself. So this is a Sagih report from one of the great companions of the Prophet So what does this mean? So according to Abdullah ibn Umar, it falls under zina. But 
if you combine the report I mentioned last week from Ibn Abbas where he said that it is better than fornication. So it's the least category of zina, i.e. when you self-stimulate. All of the Imams, Rahimahumullah, they state it is a forbidden act. Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Malik, Imam Shafi, Imam Ahmad, in the established verdicts, they state it is a forbidden act, it is haram. The only difference is whether it's a major or minor sin. And I believe most say it's a minor sin. But note again, if you persist, then the minor sin becomes major. So again, all of this is deduced from these sacred verses. The other thing, which is mentioned by Shaykh Maududi Rahmatullah, and he's, and this is in page 11, uh, volume 13, sorry, volume 8 of his English translation, quoting. Some modern commentators, so when he says modern commentators, he means those who try to twist things. Some modern commentators dispute the permissibility of having sexual relations with the slave girl. And they argue from Surah 4 verse 25 to prove that one can have relations with a slave girl only after entering wedlock with her. Because that verse enjoins that if a person cannot afford to marry a free Muslim woman, he may marry a Muslim slave girl. So what is the modern, some of the modernistic views? They say that you can only have relations with what your right hand possesses if you marry them. And they goes, and they use Surah 4 verse 25 to indicate that. But then the Shaykh says, but these commentators in inverted commas have a very strange characteristic. They accept a part of a verse if it suits them but conveniently ignore another part of the very same verse if it goes against their wish and whim. So what's happened? They've only quoted half the verse. The law about marrying slave girls in Surah 4 verse 25 reads, and it continues, quote, You may marry them, the slave girls, with the permission of their guardians and give them fair dowries. So what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? You can marry the slave girls with the permission of who? Their guardians. And give them a fair dowry. Then the Shaykh said, Obviously, the person under reference here is not the master of the slave girl himself. But the person who cannot afford to marry a free Muslim woman and therefore wants to marry a slave girl who is in the possession of another person. For if the question had been marrying your own slave girl, who would then be the guardian whose permission would have been sought? Have you understood? So they've actually massacred the verse. And why? Because they turned a kuri favor with the modern, you know, with the so-called enlightened age we're in now. You know, no, 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 you, you can't have sexual relations with your slave girl. You've got to marry her first because Surah 4 verse 25 mentions that. So Sheikh Maududi goes, continue with the verse. You may marry them with the permission of their guardians. So it's not talking about your own. It's talking about somebody else. And you give them a dowry. So he says, this is a clear breach of the understanding here. So not again, it doesn't mean you need to marry them. Though, if you wish, you, you may. In fact, there's a report where the Prophet said, whoever a slave woman falls under his authority, he educates her, he marries her, he will receive a double reward. So 
So it's praiseworthy to do this. But it's not a must. And the Quran clearly indicates in this verse that they are for, they are permissible to you. So I should have mentioned this last week. Verse 7. But those whose desires exceed those limits are transgressors. So now, is there other forms of deviation in terms of sexual uh, intimacy? And the response is yes. So, to just to mention this, again, Sheikh Maududi Rahmatullah he states, verse, uh, uh, volume 8, verse 12, some commentators, they have proved the prohibition of mut'a, temporary marriage, from verses 6. So what does Allah Ta'ala say in verse 6? The two that are lawful to you are those whom you have married and your right hand possesses. So because some commentators have said this is a verse which clearly forbids temporary marriage because it's neither one or the other. They argue that the woman with whom one has entered into wedlock temporarily can neither be regarded as a wife nor a slave girl. Thus, when she is neither a wife nor a slave girl in any sense, she will naturally be included in verse 7 amongst those that have transgressed, whose seeker has been declared a transgressor in the Quran. Then look what Shaykh Maududi says, Rahmatullah. This is a strong argument. However, due to a weakness, it is difficult to say this verse is decisive with regards to the prohibition of mut'a. So on the face of it, it's a watertight argument. Allah has mentioned only two categories you can lawfully fulfill your desires. Mut'a falls outside of that parameter. So the verse seems to be watertight. But the shaykh was, there's a weakness. What's the weakness? The prohibition of mut'a was in the year of the conquest of Makkah. But before it, mut'a was allowed due to authentic hadiths. If mut'a had been prohibited in this verse, verse 6, which was admittedly revealed in Makkah, Several years before the Hijrah, how can it be imagined that the Prophet kept the prohibition until the conquest of Makkah? The correct position therefore is that the prohibition of Mut'ah is not based upon any clear verse of the Quran, but it is based upon the authentic hadith of Rasulullah Had it not been prohibited by the Sunnah, it would have been difficult to declare it prohibited on the, on the authority of this verse. Have you understood? So basically, the prohibition of Mut'a came seven years after the Hijrah. This verse was revealed in Makkah. So how can it be haram in Makkah? And then made haram again? Seven, eight, nine, ten years later. It doesn't make any sense. So he goes, therefore, it's not really appropriate to quote this verse. The authentic hadith is what's need to be quoted. But how do we know that these verses were revealed in Makkah? And I mentioned it. The hadith mentions... So this is recorded in Nasa'i, Tirmadi, Hakim and Ahmad that the surah was sent down during the famine in Makkah referred to verses 75 and 76 which according to authentic hadith occurred during the middle of the prophethood in Makkah. In addition, Umar embraced Islam by that time. He said this surah was revealed in my presence and I myself observed the state of Rasulullah during the revelation. And he mentioned these verses were revealed. I mentioned it last week. So if Omar is a Muslim and he goes, these verses were revealed in my presence, this shows these verses were revealed in Makkah. So if they were revealed in Makkah, how could the prohibition of Mutta have been from these verses? So therefore, there's a problem and Sheikh Maududi highlighted that. 
Rahmatullah. So this is again very important to highlight in terms of understanding these verses. When you said these verses, you're talking about the early verses? Yeah, these verses. verse 6, yeah. Okay. So verse 7. Oh, and the other thing, sorry. The other obvious thing is um, homosexuality, of course, is forbidden. We don't need to go into that. It's clear. Also, bestiality. So Sheikh Maududi in his volume, th- volume 8, page 82, of Su- a commentary of Surah Nur, he said, As for the crime of this heinous act with animals, some imams regarded as zina, and they mentioned that the same punishment applies. However, according to Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam uh, Malik and Imam Shafi, it is not zina. Therefore, the offender should be given discretionary punishment and not the prescribed punishment. We have stated that the discretionary punishment has been left to the judge. Or if necessary, the state legislator can devise some appropriate form of punishment for it. So what does that mean? If you look at the directly at the hadith, you could, you could go astray. The Prophet said, kill the one who commits bestiality and kill the animal. Sayyid hadith in the sunnahs. But the imam said this was a threat. It wasn't a command. They said that it's not the man is not to be killed. <laughs> but of course, an, a, a, a discretionary punishment is given. So again, note here, this is again transgression, which is mentioned in verse 7. <clears throat> verse 8. Those who faithfully observe their trusts and covenants. So it's important to highlight here, there's two things. The trust. The covenant. So Allah is saying, this is a trait of the people of Palestine. They fulfill their trusts and their covenants. So there's a hadith. In Imam Ahmad in his Musnad 3-185, Ibn Hiban, number 47, Ibn Abi Shayba in his Al-Iman, number 7, Sahih. Our beloved messenger said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, There is no Iman for the one who possesses no honesty and trustworthiness. Astaghfirullah. There is no faith for the one who possesses no honesty and trustworthiness. So what does this mean? Does it mean you don't believe it? No. What it means is this is a trait alien to Islam. So if a person has no honesty or trustworthiness, he's, he's outwardly in all forms like an unbeliever. Why? Even in English they say, my word is my bond. Meaning if I don't have a word, I've got no value. The Prophet wasallam, the hadith in Imam Ahmad's Muslim, when one of his family members was caught lying, he stopped talking. He stopped, he boycotted the person in his family until he repented. So look how straight, serious the matter is. And also the Prophet was asked in the Sayyid, can a believe, sorry, in Imam Malik's Muwatta, can a believer be a miser, a bakhil? The Prophet said, yes, it's possible. Then he was asked, can a believer be a coward? The Prophet said, yes, it's possible. Then he was asked, can a believer be a liar? The Prophet goes, no. So this is an alien trait. What does Allah say in verse 8? Those who faithfully observe their trusts and their covenants. And of course, Surah Ma'idah, the very first verse. All believers, fulfill your covenants. Meaning, always fulfill your trust and your covenant. Verse 9. And who guard their prayers. So now what's strange? Hafiz ibn Kathir said here, Rahmatullah 
Allah the Almighty begins and ends the list of the praiseworthy qualities with salah, which is indicative of its virtue. As Rasulullah said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, know that the best of your deeds is salah. In Ibn Majah. So let's look at this. What was Ibn Kathir referring to? He goes, Allah starts the praiseworthy traits with salat. He ends the praiseworthy traits with salat. Go back to verse 2. After Allah says the believers are successful, what does he say? The very first thing. Those who in their salah are khashi'un. He starts off with salat. How does he end the traits of the people of paradise? وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ عَلَىٰ صَلَاتِهِمْ صَلَوَاتِهِمْ يُحَافِذُونَ Those who strictly guard their prayers. So note how beautiful. Between the list, Salat and Salat. So Ibn Kathir said, this shows the excellence of Salat. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ said, know that the best of your deeds is Salat. So now, this sums up the light of the seven jewels of Iman. So what's the blueprint for Firdos? There's seven jewels. The first is humility, i.e. in Salah and of course outside of Salah. The second is avoidance of vanity. The third is charity. The fourth is sexual purity. The fifth is fidelity to trust. Six, to covenants. And number seven, an earnest desire to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these are the seven jewels which will take you to Firdaus. Allah has given you that blueprint here. And like I mentioned last week, Aisha was asked, what was the character of Rasulullah? And she said, haven't you read the first 10 verses of Surah Mu'minun? He was the blueprint, you know, in action. Verse 10. These will be the heirs. Verse 11. Who will inherit paradise. They will, sorry, who will inherit Firdos, they will dwell therein. So now, what does it mean, inherit? So this is important to highlight. There's a hadith. So the hadith is in Ibn Majah, uh, Ibn Abi Hatim, Sahih al-Jami, number 5675, Qurtubi, in Istad number 356, Sahih. The Prophet he said, there is not one amongst you who does not have two dwellings, a dwelling in paradise and a dwelling in hell. Hence, if he dies and enters hell, the people of paradise will inherit his dwelling. And this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala intended and he recited verse 10. These will be the heirs. So let's look at this. So in this Sayyid Hadith, the Prophet himself is explaining this verse. Who are the heirs? At this moment, everybody has a dwelling in paradise and in hell. So look how interesting. Great hope and great fear. If you enter hell, God forbid, what happens to your dwelling in paradise? The Prophet says, the people of paradise inherit it. It's yours, but because you didn't live a life of purity, it was given away as an inheritance to the people of paradise. So when Allah says, these will be the heirs, this is what's interesting about the verse. Without commentary, it seems to indicate it's talking about you. 
Allah Ta'ala mentions the seven traits of the people of Firdos because these will be the S. But according to the Sayyid Hadith, it's not talking about you. You didn't earn that dwelling. You inherited it. Ahi, from the loss of the people. And also, this is proven in the Sayyid Hadith in Bukhari. The Prophet Sallallahu said that when a person is in the grave, he is shown, if he is unsuccessful, his place in paradise. He goes, this would have been your residence, but you've lost it. So they actually shown this loss even in the grave. And then, of course, this is even more, you know, heartbreaking for them. So what is being, they've lost it. That will be inherited by others. But at the same time, the Prophet said that in the grave, the person who's successful will be shown his dwelling in hell. And he goes, you were saved from this. So how grateful will we be when we see that, inshallah. And then you are shown your place in paradise. These will be the S. Then look what it says. Who will inherit Firdos? So what is Firdos? So in Sayyid Bukhari, number 2819, Tirmadi, number 3185, Ahmad in his Muslim, number 12254, our beloved messenger said, Firdos is the peak of paradise. It's center and the most excellent of it. Subhanallah. Firdos is the peak of paradise. It's center and the most excellent of it. So three things in this Sayyid Hadith in Bukhari. It's the peak of paradise. It's the center. And it's the most excellent. So how can it be the peak when it's the center? So this describes paradise as a kind of a dome. If you get a semicircle, the top of the semicircle is the center. If it was blocked, it doesn't make sense what the Prophet is saying. So it seems to go up in a dome shape. And the peak is paradise, the center, the most excellent. And also in Surah Al-Kahf, Surah 18, verse 107, Allah Ta'ala explicitly mentions in Surah Al-Kahf, 107, As to those who believe and do righteous deeds, they have for their, for their entertainment, Firdos, the gardens of Firdos. In Tabarani Sahih, the Prophet said, If you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then ask him for Al-Firdos. Verily, it is the best place in paradise. So this is important. Most of us naturally will feel shy to ask for Firdos. Because we're not doing the deeds which entitle us to Firdos. But we have to ask. Because the Prophet said, Ask Allah ta'ala for Firdos. So we ask because the Prophet told us to ask. And of course, Allah ta'ala is the most generous. Another thing which is interesting, in the Persian language, Firdos means an enclosed place, a park. In the Persian language, Firdos means an enclosed place, a park. So this was fascinating. Maybe Allah was referring to a Persian derivative here as well, because it's a unique place and it seems to make sense that Allah has referred to it here. So note again, Firdos is mentioned in both these verses, in case people ask, is it mentioned in the Quran, in Surah Al-Qaf, and also Surah Al-Mu'minun. And also, inheritance does not mean you are entitled. Your deeds, there's actually a verse where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, this is what you have inherited due to your deeds. So this doesn't mean that you enter paradise because of your deeds, because the Prophet famously said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, nobody enters paradise by their deeds. Because not even you, Ya Rasulullah, not even I, except by the grace and mercy. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Sayyid Bukhari. So isn't there a contradiction? No. Entrance into paradise is due to belief. But the grades of paradise are due to your deeds. So Allah Ta'ala is referring, obviously, when he says, because of your deeds you've entered paradise, he's referring to the different levels. I, the Prophet will be in the highest, and so on and so forth. So Allah Ta'ala So on the side of us, we will conclude. ولدينهم <تصفيق> الذين يرثون الفردوس هم فيها خالدون. We pray to Almighty Allah Subhanahu wa Taala that He makes the Quran the Rabi of our hearts. We pray to Almighty Allah Subhanahu wa Taala that He forgives me for any errors which I may have inadvertently uttered. Subhanallah, bihamdi, subhanallahu, bihamdi, Rasulullah, illa astaghfirullah, tuwalekat bilai, bilajnaqim, subhanallah, bilajnaqim, bilizid, almaizfur, wassalamu ala almursalim, alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin, bismillahi rahmanir rahim, walasl insan lafi khusr, aladina amnu amilus salihat, nawasbi alhak, nawasbi sabr, subhanallah.